welcome to Impacting the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. Now, before I jump into today's conversation, I wanted to give a shout out to our sister podcast, Teaching with Class, which just launched their fourth season. Yay! Monica Pujal Nassif, my friend with the beautiful soul, sits down with school leaders and educators to talk about the strategies they're using to improve interactions. Go check it out. Now let's get to our episode. So what's impacting the classroom? We're continuing our conversations about the challenges facing the workforce, specifically early childhood leaders struggling to fully staff their programs. For many, finding qualified, trained educators gets more difficult as careers offer higher wages. So today we're joined by faculty from Waldorf University's Education Department. Please help me welcome Malia Slinger, who's the ECE Program Director at Waldorf University, and Dr. Frida Barnett Braddock, who's the Program Director over Graduate Education. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Malia, could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into our topic today? Sure. Um, My name is Malia Slinger. I have been with Waldorf University, oh boy, maybe three to four years. I graduated from Wartburg College with an education, elementary education, which is in Waverly, Iowa. And I taught in a charter school for two years, which which is a combined classroom, and then uh, moved to teach Title I reading for elementary students. And then since then found my husband and we now live on a farm in Iowa and raise turkeys and crops, corn and soybeans. And then on the side, we have two kids, Tanner, who's five and Haley, who's two. And so I get the joy of working with creating the early childhood associate program at Waldorf online and working with those students, as well as working with some student teachers with Iowa State University, and still try to keep my kids alive. So I'm, I, I try. <laughs> I love I love how you said your kids were on the side. Like, that has me tickled, and I think I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. B, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, my name is Dr. Frida Barnett-Braddock, and I have been an educator since 1999. Very long time, it seems. Oh, it dates me. Um, But I have experienced in K-12, community college, and at the university level. I absolutely love helping students reach their goals. I've served as a classroom teacher, um, a counselor. Uh, I've worked with workforce development. I've also helped design curriculum um, for various college courses. So I've got a pretty varied background in education. Uh, Personal-wise, I have a 20-year-old son who's going to be going to college this fall. His heart and soul is in acting, so he is an actor. Uh, If anybody out there needs a tall, (laughs) six-foot chocolate person to play a role, reach out. (laughs) I know a guy, <laughs> um, but he is my heart and I try to support him in everything he does. And that spills over into helping my students. Um, my students who call me Dr. B um, like coming to me and, and not only getting advice on educational matters, but we get a good rapport going to the uh, level of, that they like to share um, personal matters sometimes, you know, asking um, advice on how to handle 
different things. I have background in psychology as well as curriculum instruction, administration, and um, different levels um, as far as graduate education, because I am a program director of the graduate education at Waldorf, and I absolutely love working there. It's a small, close-knit uh, educational environment. I've been with Waldorf since 2018, and although I work in the online environment, we really get a feel for our students and get to interact with them, and it's just so rewarding to see you know the, them at the beginning of their program to the end and how much growth they end up accomplishing. So I'm excited to be here today and, <laughs> and talk with you all about all things education. Yeah, I love how you just dropped that thing about your son. And then I just, I feel like I need to tell the audience, she said, for acting, not for anything else. So <laughs> <laughs> don't be the mama and me, yes, <laughs> acting only, ladies, <laughs> acting only. <laughs> so I don't come into, you know, <laughs> our cat looking for him or anything like that. Only Thank for you for that. Home. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I was tickled. I was just like, oh my goodness, we're going to get a lot of views for that. And probably for the wrong reason. I loved how you were talking about, you know, how you built this relationship with your students and it kind of exceeds, you know, just the work and it goes into this more personal, you know, I care about you type of thing. I mean, you're in the right place for that kind of relationship building. That's kind of what we do here. That's, you know, our whole mission. Um, so I love how that connects to just who we are as an organization here at Teachstone. So thank you. Yeah, everything we do should, should, in my opinion, be about um, connections because you never know, um, and this this is from my psychology background, you never know what someone is going through and what they're dealing with. We all come to the table with varied experiences. We are the sum of our lives, you know, things that have happened in our past. And it's so critically important to remember that when you're working with students, because we don't know what it has taken them just to get the the courage to pick up that textbook, to try to read the assignment, to try to go after their dream. They may be a first-gen student and have never seen someone achieve a certain level of academic success. And so they're forging a path that I like to try to help encourage them because I may be the only cheerleader that they have on their team. And I like to keep that in mind every day as I work with them. I think that's a great segue into my first question, right? Both of you have been in the field for a, a good amount of time. What have you seen as a change in that workforce? And I kind of want to hear how what you just said is impacted by that as well. I can go first since I kind of have the younger and then we kind of work our way up. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I have seen in a lot of it kind of happened through the pandemic as well. There's a lot of education that is missing and there's lots of pieces that we have to pick up after as educators. You know, parents did the best they could with the kids at home and teaching them and working and still, you know, thriving as a family. And now we're trying, they're, we're kind of out of it now and back into a routine. And I see a lot of burnout more with the teachers and dealing with some of the parents than anything else. So in our area, you know, I'm more of the in the Midwest area. We really struggle with finding educators. I just saw on my social media page that there's a graduating where I used to teach actually the title one reading their graduating class. They had nobody graduating to go into the education field. And that kind of, that made my heart hurt. Like I really want to help 
these students become teachers and educators for my kids and your kids and your grandkids and things like that. But parents are hard to deal with. And so are some of the students. Some of them don't know consequences and the behaviors. And so a lot of these teachers that are giving up early is because they're just tired of working with that. So trying to prepare college students or second, you know, career people in early education or elementary education or master's degree, trying to prepare them to work with all kinds is is difficult. So if that's really where I've seen a lot of change in the program. And we are always in need of early childhood, you know, program directors in the daycare facilities and, you know, preschool teachers. I mean, it, they are high demand all the time. Easy burnout, in my opinion. And I'll just extend on what um, Professor Slinger mentioned. The pandemic has had far-reaching implications that I think most people even realize still. We're, you know, lots of studies have been conducted that are slowly peeling back the layers of how much damage the pandemic did to us as a whole in our society. But in particular, um, there's a lot of research that's being uncovered in what impacts are still being um, realized in early childhood. Um, for instance, during the height of the pandemic, you know, many facility centers had to close down. People had to uh, make hard decisions. Lots of parents were sent home. They, you know, lost their jobs. So now they're faced with having these children at home and trying to meet needs that they themselves were not prepared to do. And it, it has really caused long-lasting repercussions that I think it's going to take us years to even fully realize all of the challenges that have, are going to still be arising. Many children, you know, the first years of the formative, they're the most important. And many children during this, you know, couple of year time block that we really, really were in the throes of the pandemic, many children weren't getting services that they needed. Uh, they weren't getting, you know, the diagnoses that they were, have normally gotten if they were in, you know, these, uh, you know, structured facilities and, and getting, you know, seen by educators who can recognize, you know, different learning disabilities or, or challenges. The pandemic revealed lots of disproportionality that are, are felt and, and seen with various um, sub-marginalized groups, you know, groups that are students who are learning English, you know, as a second language, students who are of, um, African-American or Hispanic descent, um, students who are Native American. These groups are slowly being recognized to be behind their counterparts. And it's so sad because they were already systemically behind um, before we even had the pandemic. And the pandemic just exacerbated the issues. Social, emotional concerns are huge now. That's one area that I'm over at our university. We have a uh, concentration in social emotional learning. And that's a piece that many students didn't get to experience during this pandemic. Um, they didn't have those social interactions that they would have had on a daily basis, playing with other children, learning that, hey, if, if Susie is having a problem, she's crying, I might need to listen and say, you know, hey, what's wrong? You know, do you want to see my toy? They didn't have that anymore because we were isolated. Um, many parents were, of course, being parents and trying to protect their children. So they were sheltering them and keeping them away from other children. The workers, the you know, our 
people who worked so tirelessly to help our children, they were frightened too, because, you know, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when we didn't know what was causing these deaths and the, you know, very, very severe illnesses, we were told to shelter in place, to, you know, be away from everybody, to basically cut off that human contact, which is what we need to thrive Mm -hmm. and make it in our society. So the pandemic has really had a huge impact on education in all levels, you know, from early childhood all the way, even through higher ed. Lots of people who were close to uh, considering their exodus, you know, they were getting close (laughs) to their um, retirement. They said, I'm gone (laughs) because it was too stressful. Like, can you, can you blame them? As Professor Slinger said, you know, lots of parents had this extra stress. They lost their job. They've got to still put food on the table. Now you're telling them they got to teach kids when they don't know how to do that. I mean, it, there's just a plethora of things that the pandemic thrust on our society, revealed about our society, and still has an impact on our society. So I think the more we can become comfortable with being uncomfortable and talking about some of these tough issues, the more we can start making a change or at least uh, bringing more awareness so that we can, as she said, start reattracting people to education. The pay, that's something that's, you know, a hot topic. It's the elephant in the room, but I'm going to speak on it. The pay is not what it needs to be. And so you want me to go in a room and, you know, subject myself to possible danger, to possible life-threatening conditions, and then I'm getting paid minimally. And so, um, again, it's just more exacerbation, um, pouring salt on a wound that was already there. People were tired, the burnout. These are high-stressful positions. And so we've got to do more to try to make a positive influence in education so that we can see a better spin, not only to help the students and the parents, but our communities as well. Because again, we said at the beginning of this intro, it's all about connection and community. So if we help one group, we're ultimately going to help us all. Most definitely. I love, I always say I love, because I always have the most insightful guest on. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm always just relishing all the words. I mean, you actually said something that I was going to circle around to. So I don't even have, to, I wrote it down and I don't, I had to mark it out. Um, but, you know, you were talking about you know, between your two conversations, we were talking about this burnout and just this extra burden of, and I don't think people understand, you know, we have these teachers who not only were going through challenges in their personal life, because they have children that are at home who can't go to childcare, who can, right? Like they're working minimal hours and being exposed at the same time. So they have this extra burden. (laughs) Um, How do I survive and keep my family safe, take care of them, but also, you know, protect these other children and myself in this really up in the air, I don't know what's going to happen kind of space for peanuts, (laughs) right? Um, Why would people be running to this, right? This pandemic showed that, you know, this is a frontline role that has really no benefits um, and really is just rather dangerous. And they weren't very cared for. Teachers were not very cared for during this pandemic. So why would we have people running (laughs) to this field? Malia, you were mentioning in yours about education missing, right? The pandemic and that some of this education was missing. What are some of those things that you believe were missing during that time? Oh, you know, I think Dr. B really hit a big one. And a lot of it is that social interaction 
I even see it with just my two-year-old. We had her at the height of the pandemic and as early in her life, it was, nope, can't see anybody, can't do anything. And compared to my other one, who's Mr. Social Butterfly, and I see that too as I observe student teachers of Mm -hmm. just the interaction with one another. You know, as an educator, we are teaching teachers how to teach students how to share their emotions and how to work together and how to learn academically as well. So I think when you really are focusing on the early education, I think the big one is just that social interaction of one another. But then as you, you know, gain into first and second and third grade, you know, they're they're missing out. They've missed so much on, you know, the reading and the math where a first grader should be, you know, their expectations are still kindergarten because they're still trying to pick up the pieces. I do think that over the last maybe year or two, things have been much better just because everybody's more back into a routine. But for me personally, I see a lot of that social interaction as being one of the the biggest things. And that that is a life skill that they learn. And if they learn it young, it will stick with them. And you don't have to do as much reteaching then, which is nice for a teacher. <laughs> right, right. I, all I heard when you were talking, not all I heard, I heard all of the things, but I just saw, heard another layer of challenge, right? Um, how are we preparing these teachers for this other challenge of, right, these delays, these, right? Delays. <laughs> because that, that's a whole nother layer. So what I learned in school may no longer apply to this new situation. So how do you set me up for success? So that leads me into my next question. How has higher education evolved to support this? So I'll, I'll jump in here. I think, oh my goodness. And I have always been an advocate of uh, marginalized groups. And again, the pandemic didn't create these all of these problems, but it sure pulled back the veil. Okay. (laughs) So groups that were already left behind, even though how ironically we had the no child left behind act groups that were already being left behind, got even further behind during the pandemic. You send kids home to learn virtually. They don't have a computer at home. They don't have internet, you know, Things that we take as basic, just human necessities, the internet. I couldn't live. I mean, I work from home. I couldn't have a job to, you know, did I tell y'all about a 20 year old that's, you, you know, did. trying to get into acting? Oh, okay. I digress. You did. Um, but I couldn't provide for him if I didn't have internet access because that's how I make my living, you know, online. These children, many of them in massive numbers, did not have those luxuries at home. They didn't have those. So as a Professor Slinger mentioned, the delays that were already there, just the, the gaps got even wider. They got wider. And so what do we in higher ed need to do? Again, I'm always a proponent of sometimes you got to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. So let's address the elephant in the room. Let's address these children who are not getting or who did not receive all the resources that they needed. They were already behind before the pandemic got here. And now the gap from their other counterparts has widened even more. Their parents were stressed before because 
if they were living in a deficit, living, you know, many of them at or below the poverty level, that only got worse when the pandemic came. People are still trying to recover. Um, you know, our nation, they, everything is up, you know, inflation, whether or not we call it the um, recession or pending recession or what have you. You go to the grocery store and see, you know, how much a gallon of milk is costing or, or how much a dozen eggs. <laughs> yeah, or eggs. <laughs> uh, and so not only are parents having to face the um, challenge of, you know, doing something with their children, uh, trying the best they could to educate them. Now they've got to feed them. They're at home more. The emotional stress, the mental health status of our nation has really, really, really struggled. And it continues to do so. The isolation, just the lasting impacts that we're still going to be realizing years and years from now, from people having to isolate for such a long period of time, having no physical contact with others. Those are things that we in higher ed need to keep reinforcing and teaching because when you're in the classroom, you're facing all of those things. If a child is not good at home, he or she cannot begin to focus on, you know, two plus two equal four, or this is a circle, or this is a square, uh -huh. when their tummies are rumbling because they didn't get enough to eat that morning, Absolutely. or they're wondering, you know, what's going to happen when they get home that night. So there are so many things that children are faced with that, again, we have to, in higher ed, start not only teaching the curriculum, the written curriculum, but we've got to start addressing many more things in a more real and tangible way that teachers are going to face in the classroom so they can be armed with knowing how to handle when they see signs of, of children experiencing, you know, additional issues that we can connect them with resources to help. And so in higher ed, again, learning about, you know, the various elements of cognitive development and, and things that children should be doing at certain stages, learning um, different emotional cues. And, and, and when some children don't have just basic emotional intelligence to interact with in certain situations the way they um, should be, we need to pick up on those things. And more concerted effort must be made to help our future teachers do that because they not only have to take care of these children, We've got to teach them the importance of self-care, too. They've yeah. got to learn the balance. That's something I always promote and stress to my team that I'm over, my professors that I'm over. You've got to have a balance in your own life. You can't just pour into others because eventually your vessel is going to become empty and you can't pour from an empty cup. So, again, there is just it's a gamut of things that we have to be um, mindful of. But the first step is that self-awareness and knowing We've got to face these tough challenges and work together, going back to your uh, beginning statement, as a community, connections, and trying to start making a, a positive change. Malia? Oh, boy. I don't know what if I have much more to add to that. Um, <laughs> you know, I know that in the beginning, you know, okay, we were talking, kids don't have internet access. And I know one of the other stressors is on the teacher's end. You know, I still have lots of colleagues that are still teaching. And um, one of, I have an aunt that taught for years, taught fourth grade, and she finally gave up and she gave up because of the pandemic, because of technology. Mm. And that was because she had to learn so much new technology so quickly 
to implement it with her kids. And, you know, and then it was working as a team, which is great. And you, and there's, don't get me wrong, technology is wonderful. And it is a great tool. And there has been a lot learned from this too, but it, it's a struggle too. You lose a lot of good teachers because a lot of these veteran teachers didn't want to. They, they're like, no, I'm, I'm done. I've had enough of this. I just want to teach kids and I want to teach them. I want to see them be successful in the classroom. And I don't need all this added stuff that I have to do. So I know that that was a huge struggle too. You know, we talk about the kids, we talk about the parents, but there's that struggle with the teachers too, that you have in the classroom. You know, we talked a little financially too, on all realms, daycare and early childhood and those facilities, you know, yes, we're looking for all of these new people to come in and teach and be part of this, but prices are astronomical. I mean, just to put them in daycare, I mean, for a week, I mean, is just outrageous. And I don't necessarily see it on my end because I have two kids that stay at home, but boy, it is, it's, I mean, as a parent and you don't have a job, that that is a huge, huge struggle. And then you have the government that thinks that they need to say, well, you have to have kids that have to read this many words per minute before they can go on to the next grade. And you can only do this. And it kind of takes the teaching, the fun out of teaching, but there is a positive. Like, I I feel like it's all kind of, in a sense, negative as what we're kind of talking about. But the kids, that is, I think, ultimately what we're here for. And it's to teach these prospective students how to see the joy and the enlightenment in the kids and seeing them successful and being there for them and seeing them kind of, in a sense, grow from a seed into a tree kind of thing. But that's, that's ultimately like, if I, if you, a prospective student, you do it for the kids. I miss that. I miss being in the classroom because I love the kids. So yeah, I I feel like it's all kind of negative, but there is so much positive in the education field. So much. Oh yeah. And even to extend from that, although we did mention, you know, again, you know, the elephant in the room, a lot of stressors that have been realized. There definitely are some positives. One thing that has truly been an asset is families got a little stronger because they were together. Parents started reading to their children who didn't read to their children in the past. Um, Down to eat at the supper table. Exactly. Yeah, so the the family dynamic changed. It kind of went back a little old school, um, which was good, you know. Um, So I I feel as if we need to, as, you know, people who are preparing future educators, stress the importance of, again, those the family school connection. It takes a village, you know, the proverb. It takes a village to raise a child. And so we need to use this awareness to our benefit when we're teaching future, you know, leaders, future teachers on how to get those parents positively involved. We know that, you know, let's be mindful, let's be real and, you know, face the challenges and discuss those. But like you said, let's not stop there. Let's come up with some solutions. Let's try to help parents see how they can better support their children. 
how they can be involved in the classroom. They can come in, you know, uh, be speakers for the classroom, set up some community fairs. Let us see you and what you do as a success so that we can have aspirations to know that we can do those same things one day. Children need to see real life heroes, people that they can aspire to become themselves. And they need to see people that look like themselves as well. So let's, again, integrate some more diversity. Uh, that's something that the pandemic is showing. Um, because like you said, not only has there been a huge exodus of teachers who were maybe at their point of uh, retirement and you know they didn't want to deal with the technology, but let's show future teachers how they can embrace technology more mm-hmm. and, and use it you know, for these students to, um, because let's face it, the students can do the technology better than we can <laughs> in most instances, you know, and, so we, and it's only going to get more and more, you know, uh, uh, increased. And so we've got to, even, you know, somebody like me has to learn how to get outside the box and use technology more. So making those efforts to connect with the families, connect with the communities, I think, you know, the pandemic showed us that sometimes now we're going to have to be a little more proactive in those areas, but we can do it. And um, it's only going to be for the betterment of our children and the children, you know, pun intended, are our future. And so <laughs> we've got to keep finding ways to overcome these, all these challenges. But like she said, make lemonade out of those lemons that we you know. <laughs> so we talked some about you know, and in thinking about the children, we talked some about the types of training that teachers need now. So at the university level, like the higher education level, what are we doing to recruit teachers, people into this field, right? So that they can have access to what we've learned and have like the training that we need to provide for them to help them um, to support our students. I think on my end, one of the things that I see that is is wonderful and didn't often used to be this way, but you can pretty much carry on a full-time job and get a degree at the same time. And I, I have seen that in the courses that I have been teaching, that a lot of, you know, the introductions that students make, you know, they have a family and then they have sometimes two or three jobs and they are also taking to get a new degree. And I see that even myself, I got my master's and I did it all online and I was teaching full-time and coaching three sports. So I see that that accessibility as being such a pro to help get those future educators in a classroom or in a daycare facility or into the higher education. That's one of the great things that I have seen kind of on my end, if that's what you're looking for. I think that's kind of what we're, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a game changer, Malia. I agree, Um, Professor Sling, I agree with you completely. I too uh, finished my master's, both my master's specialist and doctoral degrees online. I would not have been able to do that because I couldn't go sit in a typical brick and mortar classroom. I didn't have the time. I was married at the time, raising a child who has special needs and Online classroom afforded me so many opportunities so that I could still work. I could still, you know, take care of home obligations, but also go after my dreams. So I love um, that point that you made. And we do. We see 
we see students who are um, completely in another area, but have, you know, not given up on that dream that they have of, of changing the world by, you know, changing one child's life at a time. And so I think that we can continue to encourage that. One thing that we can do in higher ed, um, I as an administrator, what I like to do is talk to people who maybe are getting the getting to the level of maybe burnout in the classroom and, and remind them, hey, you can have an even bigger impact if you become an administrator because you're going to influence the influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one thing I did when I was a I was teaching high school when I decided to work on my first master's degree because I wanted to become a, a principal and I wanted to not only help students, but I knew if I could change the mindset of teachers, that was going to impact even more students. And so giving those educators who have this vast knowledge, but maybe they might be burned out on the day-to-day grind of a classroom, reminding them, hey, there are other things you can do. You can become, you know, um, a lead teacher, even if you still want to have that type of connection, but you'll get more into some other areas as well. You know, you might want to look into a degree, a degree that you know has a master's that you focus on the curriculum side. You might want to focus on um, leadership. You might want to you know look into a degree again that teaches you about social emotional learning because you again can impact and influence um, not only your students but your colleagues, your admin, you know your community members. Because once you realize the importance of what's going on in others' lives is ultimately going to impact your own. You'll be more wise and and open to, you know, seeing how you can positively change someone else's life when you're seeing little cues and things that are going on. So just reminding people that there's always hope. It's never too late to um, take a new path in life, to change your trajectory or to change somebody else's life. Malia um, talked about more accessibility, right? And that avenue of online learning. So being able to live this life while creating another one, you know, in the time you have. Um, In what other ways has higher education evolved to support the accessibility of learning? I have to go into a little more detail what you're... Right. So let's think think about cost, right? Because, yeah, I could have access to, you know, an education, but is it accessible to me? You know, I... Maybe I don't want to have to work three jobs <laughs> to be able to go to school. So how has higher education evolved to support the challenges that the pandemic brought as far as, you know, this financial crisis that we're, we're living in? And I, I think I probably don't know all of the details on that end, as I feel like I kind of focus more on the content in some of the courses. But I also do know a lot of schools in the Midwest here. Um, sometimes will say, hey, we will pay for half of your education. If you want to continue and you want to get your special ed degree or you want to get your early childhood endorsement, we have money set aside that we can help you with that. So that helps to, you know, there are grants that are available. I, as far as cost of a course, I, that would be not in my area. And I don't even want to even say that I even know about it because I would be not even close to it. I always joke that I was always the reading teacher, not the math teacher. So numbers and myself (laughs) never got along very well. So I do know more on my end here in the Midwest. I know that there are several districts that will say, hey, 
we we need you to get another endorsement for your special ed. We'll forgive half of your bill or we'll pay for one class or things like that. So that's kind of on my side of the the loop there. Yeah, and that's so helpful. And, and you're completely right. There are numerous scholarships, grants, um, school districts, especially these high need school districts. They've got the funds to, you know, send teachers to school to go back. You can get alternate emergency certifications. Where there's a will, there's a way. Now, you may, you know, have to do your research, you do your homework to see how to get connected to those resources. But there's no excuse for someone not to go to school. Like she said, some districts are begging people, hey, come here. We'll put you on a one or two year emergency contract. You know, we'll let you go back to school, get what you need because they need teachers. And so um, there's there are definitely resources out there. And the best thing to do is just, you know, start getting on the Internet, doing a little Google search, pick up the phone, start making some contact uh, calls. And a person that wants to do it, they will definitely find it because there's there's too much money out here because we do have such a shortage Mm -hmm. that. someone can get connected with the resources that they need. They just have to put in a little effort to start making some calls and shooting out some emails and and start letting their desires be known. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to get to, right? Um, Some hope, right? We were talking about the positives. Yeah, definitely. Talking about the positives. And not only do we have space, but there are ways for you to do this and it not hurt, right? (laughs) Um, So look for those resources, get in the field and, you know, get this certification paid for, right? As Yeah. And especially in, um, in particular areas like special education, some people really have a passion for that, but it is a high burnout mm-hmm. area, high turnover. So there are lots of fun, any areas that have lots of turnover and burnout usually have lots of money <laughs> dedicated to getting more people back into the area. So that's a good tip for you. If you're thinking about, well, wonder which area I might want to go into. Look into the area that's got the highest need and different states have different, you know, needs. And so just do a little research and see what your state, what your district, you know, where you live, um, what, you know, they are really looking for and and market yourself. You know, I've always uh, been bold enough to say, hey, all they can say is no. So go to a district, you know, let them know this is my background. You know, I have a passion for doing this. What what can you do to assist me? What can you recommend? path I take and you'll never you'll you'll be surprised how many people want to help you if you'll just speak up and let your desires know yep wonderful um one more question I say one more question but it just depends on what your responses are (laughs) where do you see the future of teacher prep programs going I am always a positive thinker and so I see it on the up and up but it's getting the word out I feel like, you know, you talk to one person and hopefully they can talk to three more people and then you are paying it forward in a sense from there. So I have seen it kind of in the associates program that we've kind of put together at Waldorf. You know, we've been doing it now for a couple of years and it was maybe one to two students and now we're about four to five. Now, that's not a huge gap, but we're gaining and bringing the joy back into teaching and showing people that. This is a fun occupation and career choice to have. 
that that you get to play with kids all day long. Like <laughs> there's so much joy in that and trying to encourage that in them. I only see it increasing and and that's my hope. And I think something will eventually I'm hoping we'll flip over and they'll be like, hey, yeah, we need to pay teachers a lot more because, yeah, they get three months off in the summer. Some do, but they really don't. They're always working. So, yeah, let's pay them more. They're teaching our future. They're teaching our community, how our kids, how to be a lifelong learner. So I just I pray and I hope that that turns over sometime soon, maybe with my kids. I don't know. And I, I want to echo your um, positivity. I feel like even though we did, you know, mention a few of the um, negative aspects of COVID, I think one of the positives is that some parents who didn't have to deal with their children now know what it's like to deal with their children eight hours a day. And so they do realize how underpaid educators are. So I do believe that there are going to continue to be positive strides made and uh, teacher pay. Because if we didn't have teachers, we wouldn't have anybody else. There would be no uh, NBA and NFL players because they wouldn't be able to get through school if there weren't any teachers to teach them. There wouldn't be doctors and lawyers because you got to have a teacher. So the teacher is such, when you want to say essential worker, the teacher is one of the most essential workers, top top of the uh, pyramid for sure. And so I feel like in higher ed, um, we're going to continue to um, make strides in, in showing how we can change lives, you know, through education, one student at a time, we're going to continue to have these tough conversations at times so that we can begin to close achievement gaps with uh, groups who may not be getting the services and support that they need. And we're going to continue to seek ways to continuously improve so that we can have a positive impact on these children because they are our future. Our country won't survive if we don't do something to make sure we're supporting these children. And that goes from, you know, early childhood all the way through higher ed. And so I believe enough people love what they do. Enough people have a love for others and a gift to be able to think outside the box. And we're going to continue to see just astronomical changes that are going to help grow and and make this field even better than it already was. I have nothing else to say after that, because that was a perfect (laughs) wrap up to our conversation today. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. You can find today's episode and transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash podcast. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. You guys were amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you to today's team. Marnetta Larimer is our host. Our producers are Isabella Henriksen and me, Megan Cornwell. Editing help is from Castos. You can find Impacting the Classroom on our website at teachstone.com slash podcasts, where you can also listen to our other show, Teaching with Class. Impacting the Classroom is a Teachstone production. As a leader, do you find it challenging to provide your educators with high impact and engaging professional development? 
why not help them earn their CDA credential, a nationally recognized qualification that demonstrates an educator's commitment to providing high quality care to children. Teach Stone's CDA with Class program helps educators meet the professional learning requirement to apply for the credential and is offered in multiple learning formats to meet the needs of any busy schedule, including self-guided on-demand and online cohort learning. But what makes Teach Stone's CDA program unique? In addition to learning what it means to provide high quality care, educators are also learning core class concepts that can be applied in their classroom interactions the very next day. Invest in your educator's professional development and improve the quality of care in your program. To learn more and get started, visit teachstone.com backslash CDA dash programs.